This morning, I want to talk to you about passion. What is passion? Well, depending on who I ask here this morning, I think the answers would differ considerably. Wives would give a completely different meaning to their husbands, but I'm not going to go there. Passion in the dictionary is described as any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling. However, if you Google it, you get something very different (laughs) indeed. I don't recommend you try. This morning, I want to share with you what I'm passionate about. And it starts with God's Word. God's Word, the Bible. This is the living, breathing Word of God. And it's so much more than just a book or an instruction manual on how or how not to live your life. There's power in it. It changes and transforms lives. It gives hope to whoever reads it. It invites you in as God himself reveals his character to us. Everybody say, wow. Now say it backwards. I want to put it to you that the Bible is still the best way that God communicates with us. I have had the thunderbolt. I've had the lightning strike. And I've heard God's audible voice. But it's by reading and then meditating on God's word, the Bible, which has helped me to grow and understand him more. How many of you have your Bibles here with you this morning? You don't need to raise your hands or your Bibles. It's not my intention to embarrass or condemn anyone here. But I do want to share with you what I was challenged myself on a few months ago. On realizing what the Bible means to us, it should be the first thing, the first thing we pick up before leaving for church. But often, certainly in my case, it's sometimes the last. My phone, my wallet, my keys are sometimes the the first thing I, I reach for, and then it's my Bible. But it would often be the case that I'm already here at church before I'd remembered. This, however, changed recently upon the arrival of my beautiful baby daughter, Cara Grace. She's five months old now and is already in total control. (laughs) Getting ready for church one Sunday morning, I felt God say to me, Simon, You wouldn't leave Cara Grace or the thing she needs behind. If I mean that much to you, then why do it to me? That may sound overdramatic, I know, this morning, but it's true, isn't it? We're always quick to reach for other things, often forgetting what really is important to us. Or in the busyness of everyday life, how often do we forget to pick up our Bibles, to slow down, to pause, to take in God's word and what he has to say to us? And do we actually have our Bibles with us so this could be the case? God wants to communicate with us, with you. And like I've said, one of the best ways he does this is through the Bible. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. If we can't manage to bring our Bibles to church with us, then where else are we not going to take them or put it another way what else are we going to allow to distract us from reading God's word 
You see, if we're passionate about God, then we have to be passionate about his word. The next thing, the next thing I'm passionate about is sheep. Yes, you heard me correctly, sheep. Growing up in Wales, there were always lots of sheep. And in fact, there were 2,386 different species of sheep in Wales before it was inhabited. That's a lot of sheep. My own family, as well as having pet dogs and cats, had a pet sheep. And some of you know this because you visited my house when I lived there. My parents, living next to a farm, adopted a newly born lamb when its mother died. Everybody say, ah. Thanks that you're still with me, it's, it's good. And I'm going somewhere. Uh, if, you, if you thought looking after a newborn baby lamb, if you thought, sorry, if you thought looking after a newborn baby is hard work, don't ever think of raising a newborn lamb. I don't know if you know anything about lambs, but they're not designed to be bottle fed. But that was the case every two hours, night and day, for months. And using a dummy or singing a lullaby doesn't get them to sleep. (laughs) This sheep became part of the family. We called him Lammy. (laughs) Not very original, I know, but the name Mint Sauce didn't get many votes. As Lammy got older, it was my dad who took responsibility for him. And as parents... How many of you know that's often the case? Anyway, it was amazing to see how Lammy instinctively knew who my dad was. He knew his voice. He would actually follow him around. Dozens of times in the Bible, the people of God are referred to as sheep. Psalm, I can't believe I'm saying this, Psalm 23 and Isaiah 53 verse 6 in the Old Testament are the more notable passages of scripture but there's lots more and I don't think it's a coincidence that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses and King David were all shepherds and moving into the the New Testament the theme continues and it's in John chapter 10 that Jesus really speaks about this these are Jesus's words I tell you the truth I am the gate for the sheep. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. He also says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I really hope, I really hope you're catching my passion for sheep this morning. It seems they're quite important. Actually, I'll let you into a little secret here. It's not really sheep I'm passionate about. It is people. And as followers of Jesus, we have to be passionate about people. A passionate Christianity is a powerful Christianity. It will attract people. It does attract people. Jesus attracted people. I've been 
compassionate since Jesus transformed my broken life. And if he can do that for me, if he can do that for me, I know he can do that for everyone. And I have a passion. I have a passion deep within me to share that. We're all passionate about something. It may be football. Not anymore. It may be films. It may be animals. It may be music. It may be sci-fi. It may be coffee. It may be cars. It may be clothes, etc., etc. I could go on and on. And we have no problem sharing some of that stuff too. When you go and see a film and you think it's amazing, it blows you away, you tell everyone about it. You want to share it. You encourage people to go and watch it. You're excited. You're passionate. And you want people to get what you've experienced. And it doesn't seem to matter who you tell either. You'll tell friends, work colleagues, neighbours, even Facebook. When it comes to sharing our faith, are we that passionate? I think if we were, more people would want it and then more people would get it. I am passionate about this and I want to see more broken lives transformed. I want to see more people come to know and have a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. The last 12 months of me has been amazing and I've had the opportunity to witness this happen. I've been volunteering here at Zion a couple of days a week and I've had the privilege to get alongside some great guys and pray with them as they've accepted Christ as their saviour. For me, there's nothing better than this. And I'm praying for more, for more of those experiences. Because as, well as, because as well as there being a party in heaven at that time, there's also a party inside of me. That's my passion. And I thank Jesus for it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. That's Luke chapter 15. And we're going to have a look at one of the parables Jesus talks about. Luke 15 and starting from verse 1. This is from the NIV. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them, this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it there because this parable is what I want to concentrate on. Jesus does share three parables here, the other two being the lost coin and the lost son. But how many of you know that when Jesus speaks, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Here he shares three parables. And in verse 1, it says there are three types of people. Tax collectors, sinners, and I will call them religious leaders. 
they were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These parables are meant for the people he's talking to. He has a, a target audience and he has a message for them. Tax collectors, they were considered the worse than the average person of their day. They worked for the Romans collecting taxes off their own people, but also pocketing money for themselves. Sinners, that's the majority. The Bible says that we've all sinned, so that would include everyone else that was listening. But apparently not, because it then tells us of the religious leaders. These were the people that you couldn't really get close to. They were looked up into, they were looked up to in society, which caused them to look down on everyone else. And it's these religious leaders that have a problem with Jesus spending time with the other two sorts of people. What's amazing about these three parables is that Jesus connects them to those that are listening to him, how they're living their lives at that moment in time. You can imagine the tax collectors listening more attentively when Jesus talks about the lost coins, about money. And the sinners, when Jesus speaks about the lost son and how, despite what he's done, despite how he sinned, he's welcomed back into the loving arms of a father. I think personally, they would have seen and heard Jesus' passion as he shared these parables. After all, they're ultimately about God's love and God's passion to see everyone reconciled to him. But the ones that didn't get it, the ones that missed the point completely, are the religious leaders. And this, again, is a common theme throughout the New Testament. And Jesus often finds himself coming up against them. This first parable, this first parable is meant for them. Jesus gives it to them straight. You see, the religious leaders are complaining amongst themselves that Jesus is associating himself with sinners. They're angry that he welcomes them and then eats with them. To eat with someone during Jesus' day was a sign of acceptance and recognition. The religious leaders didn't think these people were deserving of that. They surely wouldn't have done it. These were the people they had no time for, the people they looked down on. But it's here that Jesus speaks. In verse 3, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. This story was meant for them. He goes on to say, Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? Jesus puts a question to them, but he already, he already knows the answer to it. You see, the religious leaders are more concerned with themselves and whether everything is okay for them. They wouldn't have worried about the significance of the one, the flock themselves, when they were absolutely fine. And Jesus challenges them on this. He shares his passion for the lost sheep and he tries to evoke some passion in them. Surely, surely you'd go after the one, he says, and then when you found it, you'd joyfully carry it home. You'd call your friends, you'd get your neighbours together because you've found your lost sheep. You'd rejoice, you'd celebrate. This is not something the religious leaders would have done. This is an alien concept to them. They only cared about themselves. They had no passion for anyone else. 
Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus cares? That he has a passion for you and that he actively seeks you and then joyfully carries you home. I know I am. At the end of the parable, Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who, de- who don't need to repent. The 99 righteous persons, I believe, are the religious leaders. Of course, they do need to repent, but their attitude says different. They think they're okay. They are confident in their own righteousness. You remember the prayer. One of them prayed in Luke 18. God's I thank you. I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The phrase a stinking attitude comes to mind here. And it's that which needs to change. It's that they need to repent of. You see, repent in this parable of the lost sheep in Greek is metanoia. I don't think so. And it's, no, the meaning is to think differently or reconsider. And Jesus is telling them exactly that. They need a change of attitude, but it somehow seems to go over their heads. That's why Jesus makes the point of saying there will be more rejoicing in heaven over a sinner who gets it. Jesus wants us to get it. He wants you to get it. He is passionate about people. And if we truly proclaim to follow him, then we have to share that passion. We need to focus less on ourselves and focus more on others. This parable really gives us an insight into the very heart and passion of Jesus. It can also show us that we too can become or have the same attitude as the religious leaders. You see, we were all once lost. But since being found, has our mindset changed? Are we still focused on the people that matter? The people we once all were. A week last Friday was Good Friday. And the churches of Hales Owen got together in the town centre to witness what Jesus had done. Our own Dan Bennett was Jesus. And he carried the cross and led the procession through the town. I always knew Dan was going places. It was, a, it was a great time together. Some of you were there, and I'd say there was about 80 to 100 Christians there in total, all witnessing what Christ had done. Flyers were handing out, telling people what Easter was all about and what it really meant. Hands were raised in praise as songs were sang out. It was amazing to see. But just 100 yards away, there was a big issue seller. There was a lady big issue seller. A pregnant lady big issue seller. Her name was Arnia. And as the fellowship time ended, I'd love to say that everyone went and blessed her because I think that would have been a greater witness. But I can't say that because it didn't happen. And I watched as dozens of people passed her by as she called out big issue. 
I don't want to be judgmental here. That's certainly not my intention. And people may have genuinely not noticed that. But the very heart of Jesus, his passion, requires us to. Actually, the more I thought about this, the more I've realized that this was for me. It was my revelation, my lost sheep moment. God revealing someone to me, someone to actively seek out. And when God does that, do we act upon it? Passion. Passion says yes. Religious leader attitude says no. And right now, I want to pause. I think it's a good time to stop. And I want you to close your eyes. And in a second, I'm going to ask you a a question. And when I ask that question, I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit for your answer. So right now, just close your eyes. Just wait on God. Just be still. And the question is this. Who is the lost sheep in your life? Who is the lost sheep in your life? It may be a family member, mom, dad, sister, or brother. It may be a friend, a neighbor, a work colleague. Maybe someone who once came to church. It may be someone you haven't spoken to yet, but have seen around. It may even be a big issue seller. As God puts someone on your mind, it becomes our personal responsibility to act upon it. They are our lost sheep. And passion, passion will say yes. Passion will do something about it. Religious leader attitude will say no. You can open your eyes now. There may be, I've never been any good at counting, there may be 100, 150, 200 people here this morning. And if we all commit to act upon what God has just shown us, that's 200 people or so lost sheep spoken to. Wouldn't this be amazing? I think this is sharing the very heart and passion of Jesus. And Jesus wants us to share his passion for people. As We're his disciples, the body of Christ. Jesus calls us to partner with him. In fact, it's to take over the baton. He entrusts his sheep to us. In John's gospel, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, he seeks Peter out. In fact, turn with me there to John chapter 21 and verse 15. John chapter 1, sorry, John chapter 21, verse 15, and we'll read to verse 20. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus then said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus then said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Here, here Jesus reverses the fact that Peter denied him three times by asking him whether he loves him three times. But for me, there's a much bigger scene being played out here. You see, by the time Jesus gets to the third question, Peter's attitude has changed. The Bible says he's hurt by it. And then Peter goes on to say, and I think rather abruptly, rather passionately, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus knows what he's doing here. And he gets the answer he possibly would have liked the first time he asked the question. You see, Jesus was calling, was calling the passion out of Peter. Jesus wanted Peter to know the importance of what he was asking him to do. You see, Jesus knew that pe- you see, Jesus knew that Peter would need passion to endure what was to come. Jesus goes on to explain that Peter would inevitably die the same death as he did. Then Jesus says, follow me. Wow. For that to happen, Peter would need passion. You see, passion loves. Passion gives. But at the same time, passion costs. Passion loves. Passion gives. But at the same time, passion costs. Peter at first struggles with this and asks Jesus what would happen to a fellow disciple. But Jesus says to him, what is that to you? You must follow me. Here Jesus was telling Peter to focus, to be passionate about what Jesus was asking him to do. And if he did that, if he did that, his passion would see him through. A great theologian puts it like this. A life without passion is no life at all. Actually, that's a a quote from Puff Daddy or P. Diddy or whatever he's calling himself now. He's big in the music industry for those of the older generation. (laughs) I'll move on. This sums it up for me, though, perfectly. Without passion, there's no meaning. No passion, no life. You see, passion loves, passion gives, and passion costs. As I come to the end of my talk now this morning, I want to ask you what you're passionate about. What really matters to you? What drives you? And if there's an area where you could have more passion, where would it be? Are you passionate about God's word? Are you passionate about God's people? Are we passionate about our life? The life in which Jesus died for us to have. You see, passion has to start in us so that we can show passion to others. As you think about this, we're going to share communion. And if the band would like to come back and the service come out.
as we share communion, we're going to remember the greatest passion of all. Our King, our Saviour, the Good Shepherd, sacrificing himself for his sheep. That's you. That's me. And at the Last Supper, sharing the Passover with his disciples, Jesus knew what was coming next. His passion would have been obvious to see. As he broke the bread saying, this is my body given for you. It was literal for him. He knew what was to come. And as he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured for you. Again, this is literal. His blood was shed for you. This, for me, is passion. You see, passion loves, passion gives, but passion costs. Service if you want to go and hand out communion. As the worship team sings, I want you to reflect on all of this. And then remember, remember the passion you first had when Jesus entered your life. It's there. We've all experienced it. And I believe this morning that Jesus wants to call it out of you again. When you've done that, we're going to stand and and sing together. So as the worship team lead you through this, have communion, reflect on what I've shared there, and then we're going to sing.